don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge with the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Yes, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. When you say welcome, I'm like, thank you for having me at L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Appreciate it, dude. Yeah, man. Listen, if you're listening, then welcome. Uh, We always mention our acronym up front because if you would like to subscribe and why not, you can. Just uh, type in L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T in your search engine, and you'll find us. You can also find us right now on mutinyradio.fm. Internet radio, we are on every Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We follow What's Really Happening. Is that the show with Luke? What's Really Happening with Luke. Yeah. Got live music. You got a lot of stuff going. So make an afternoon of it. Why don't you start listening to Mutiny Radio at noon and check out Luke and then check us out. Uh, and what we're going to do is let us watch a full-length movie on YouTube, Carl. has right. said the title. Yeah. Uh, we want to watch a full-length movie with you. We want you to watch the movie and listen to us at the same time. <laughs> donate Carl, button. Donate button. Oh, right. And we're on this video, so we want you to go to the station, to the browser. There's a PayPal. There's a button you press, and you can donate money. Or yeah. you can go to Venmo and right. throw in a couple bucks at Mutiny Radio. Make Venmo sure this is like- safer because sometimes I go and to press the donate button and I, I hit the donut button instead. Right. Yeah, Pam has enough donuts. It's it's she told me to stop. I told you to cut down on your donuts, Carl. I mean an excuse <laughs> isn't a really lame excuse. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
just trying out the station, you know. Yeah, and next thing you know, you press the donut button. Carl, what is the movie we're watching today? Today, we will watch My Old Man, 1979. That's what you put in the search engine of YouTube. My Old Man, 1979. And there you will find a channel called Super Joe's ZZZ. Wow. Which might be sleeping like Super Joe at night. I'm not sure. He must be so super, he just exhausts himself halfway through. Or maybe it's Z, like he's zooming away. Well, we're into Super Joe ZZZ, and I suggest you subscribe. Okay, I just subscribed. Uh, Actually, I forgot I can't do it on my phone, but go ahead and hit the link, uh, My Old Man 1979, hosted by Super Joe's. Once you hit it, hit pause. Move the slider to zero, zero, zero. We don't want you to hit go until we tell you go, and we're not even going to tell you go. We have right. a very special comedian celebrity countdown, Carl. Right. This yeah. is usually a week after week. Carl finds a friend in New Jersey who uh, does the countdown, and I say, <laughs> oh, is it a comic from New Jersey? And Carl says, I don't know. As a comment from New Jersey. Well, we're very excited to have my dear friend, who, uh, very funny, I'm not going to say comedian, but uh, can, can be in a whiff, uh, not from New Jersey, uh, from Fresno, right? That's no. correct, yes. Yeah, from Fresno. Originally, uh, originally from Fresno, no longer. Originally from Fresno. It has been here in the Bay Area in San Francisco for decades. Great to have her, my old Bad Movie Night companion. Please give it up for Sherilyn Connolly. Hey, that's me. Yay. Let's hear it for me. Go me. Yay. I'm great. Yes, I am. Thank you for having me on, Mike. Super appreciated. Well, pe people know you're great because you've been on our show before. You uh, joined us uh, with uh, oh, like the Ghosty Meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. You brought K-Rob and Goldie, I believe. I'm really excited you're on this show. We are watching a movie that premiered. Uh, it's a CBS uh, after school, we're not proud. We're watching a TV movie today. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was on December 7th, 1979. Yes. The Friday, and it was the premiere night of a movie you wrote a great book about. Thank movie, you. of course, being Star Trek. The motion. <sighs> yes. The Star Trek, or some like, oh, you know, you know, I'm going to be the first person to ever make this joke. So, so you know, dig in. This is gonna, I'm going to break a new ground here. This is going to be history, right? History making right here. Star Trek the motion picture, or as I like to call it, Star Trek the motionless picture. <laughs> eh? 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 Because it's slow and boring. There's no actual motion. So I call it the motionless picture because I'm clever like that. I am. You saw that. You, you made up that joke on the Friday, and then you watched Saturday Night Live on the December 8th, 1979. You said, more like Saturday Night Dead. Uh, I tell you, December December '79, I was just on a roll. I was six. I was a six and a half years old, but I was in my prime. I tell you, you what, you were '80s sarcasm before it was a thing. That's right. Uh, well, I really enjoyed the book. Uh, it is Thank on you. McFarland, and it's actually, I would say, a two-parter because there's a really good companion piece about uh, Persis Kambata. I whatever. I, I, yes, I know. that is that is a correct pronunciation. That is acceptable. Yes. Thank God. Persis Kambata, who played Ilya. So, uh, yeah, so she is, if you ever seen, the only memory I have of that movie is that my dad took me. And that's that's all I really need on that film. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's more than enough, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was notorious. You know, uh, Carl, we love bad movies and we love yeah. December. You, one of the things you bring up in your book is that a week later uh, was the black hole, Disney's the black hole. And mm -hmm. then 1941 was also coming up like a week later. Like these are horrible, disastrous bombs. And also the jerk and Kramer versus Kramer, just the, the you know the, the prequel to the jerk too, of course. 
you know, oh, yeah. came out around that around that same time. But Another most, favorite TV movie of ours. In oh. fact, one of my favorite factoids about Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which again, it's not a very good movie, but I have devoted so much time and energy and so much of my life to studying this bad film. Which, I mean, look who I'm talking to. Of course, you get that, Mike. You totally know where I'm coming from. But everyone always thinks like, oh, you know, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, because Star Wars was a big hit. Eh, no, not really. Close Encounters was a bigger influence on Star Trek the Motion Picture than Star Wars was. But when Star but when Star Trek the Motion Picture came out, the film that it had to beat at the box office, the film that had recently broken the records and everyone was wondering, can Star Trek beat it? Was not Star Wars, was not Close Encounters, it was not even Killer Fish, in fact. The movie yes. that the movie that Star Trek the Motion Picture had to beat was Jaws 2. Mm-hmm. That was, in December 1979, that was the big hurdle that Star Trek The Motion Picture had to clear. I'm telling you, cocaine, as the kids like to say, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Jaws 2 was in 79, or it was just Yes, I believe it was was earlier in 79, yeah. Yeah. You know, one one of the things in your book, uh, all these bombs that happened, Star Trek and Paramount and their own television network, your book really kind of goes into that there's a deeper story about Star Trek in a movie is that they didn't know what direction to take Star Trek. They just Mm -hmm. knew Paramount Pictures had a property that NBC threw away. They're making tons of money on syndication. Are they going to make a new TV series? Are they going to use it to buttress their new network on once a week? Are they going to make a movie and then a string of films? And, uh, you know, they ultimately came up with the UPN where they premiered a Star Trek. So they did follow up on that plan eventually, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I never realized it was so deeply entrenched with Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, Paramount knew they had something with Star Trek, but they weren't sure what it was. And you're like, you're right, like, were they going to launch a new network? Was it going to be a new TV movie? Was it going to be a series of TV movies? I mean, there was talk about it being like the Columbo movies, you know, the Monday Night Mystery movies, that they would do like two or three hour and a half TV movies every year. You name it, they, they considered it at some point or another. And then it wasn't until, again, Star Wars helped, but really Close Encounters of the Third Kind was when they were like, okay, fuck it. We're going to make this into like a big, ginormous, splashy film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, nobody knew what they were doing. It was just a fucking mess from start to finish. You're but good. it was also a huge hit. It made a lot of money. It really did. It made its money back immediately, but nobody oh, liked absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, one of the things your book does mention is that Star Trek uh, – they looked at how to merchandise before the movie and how to like mm-hmm. get people reserve tickets for this event, which I don't think would have happened had Star Trek not explode the pop culture two years prior. Yeah, it's we yeah Star Wars yeah it did help you know pave the way for Star Trek's big comeback, but the really weird thing is I've never really been able to figure out what you hint at is the fact that Paramount was treating Star Trek motion picture like a huge prestige picture. They were treating it like a David Lean movie, you know, like a big, it wasn't a roadshow attraction, but they were treating it with the same kind of grandeur, and they were trying to make it seem like a very, very big, important film. And even though they knew, it was based on a TV show that had failed. It's based on a failed TV show, but they're still treating the film as, yeah, a prestige project where you have to get tickets months in advance and for, like, you know, reserve performances. It was crazy. Paramount just threw everything at the wall and some of it sticked not much but some of it stuck yeah well it leaves a lot of collectibles uh, on the chair and yeah the merchandising was part of the creed but the merch crazy about the merchandising was they were merchandising a film that they didn't know anything about 
So a lot of the merchandising does not match the film at all because the people who had to make the toys had never seen the movies. So there's a great hilarious disconnect between the toys and the products and the film itself. In, in the Persis book, you said the director had to stop because they shot all the principal, uh, all the scripts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They basically went into it with an unusable third act and Gene Roddenberry and his writing partner, or writing rival rather, kept on rewriting each other. So that was causing things to back up. But yeah, by October 31st, by Halloween of 1978, after they'd started shooting in August, they just had to shut down for a week, week and a half because they, they didn't have anything to shoot. They just ran out of script. And this was for a movie that was going to open on December 9th, 1979. It's like it did not matter how fucked up the production was. Everyone at Paramount knew, look, here's the thing. There's going to be a Christy McNichol War Notes made-for-TV film <laughs> coming out on December 7th, 1979. And Paramount has to have the film in the theaters by then. We well, have to they, make sure nobody goes to see the War Notes picture. Everyone has to go see the William Shatner picture. They're counter. They're counter programming. They're saying exactly. what, what movies we got the crusty old men and the crusty young girls uh, market squared <laughs> away. We can't touch them. Who can we counter market to? Exactly. Exactly. We are unearthing the hidden truth about the fact that my old man was the center of gravity of Hollywood in December 1979, and we're about to find out why, because I'm sure it's just that Fair good. Well, the book is called the, the Star Trek Movie. And the, first, the first Star Trek movie. The first Star Trek, I beg my pardon, first Star Trek, what a great title. Uh, and then presenting, uh, per, uh, per, now I screwed up, Paris Kambata. Which presenting, actually, presenting Persis Kambata. Pers Persis Kambata, I beg my yes. pardon. Uh, which goes into more details of the shooting of the movie. A lot of stuff that you kind of save for the book, especially because it was about her. So, and then stuff about Hunter and all the great stuff in the '80s. So, it's well, if you're a Megaforce fan, it's, it's definitely a, a good continuation. So, we picked a movie that I guess it didn't come out on the premiere of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, but you know, That's my not. old man would save a couple bucks and uh, maybe we'll wind up watching a Christy McNeil uh, uh, McNichol movie. So. People, we are already paused. We've already uh, set the mode for the yep. weekend that was. Sherilyn, would you? We would love for you to do the countdown. <clears throat> I will absolutely do the countdown. Dude, the three, two, one, go countdown. And when I hit go, we mash that triangle. And we right now, my old man has thirty-seven thousand nine hundred fifty-eight views. <laughs> I think we, let's get that up to forty thousand views, huh? Come on, we could do this. <laughs> All right, here we go. So the <clears throat> celebrity ah, countdown. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Oh, there's a laser disc. I'm loving this already. Cool. Oh, yeah. Platinum. Disc Corporation. Sure. Sure. Okay. Remember the CD corporations? God, they're everywhere. That was a bubble. Uh, movies Look, at going down the Look at that font. Look at that font. By the way, I have never seen a Christy McNichol anything before. I've never seen her on TV and a movie. I've seen lots of Eileen Brennan, but never Christine, Christy McNichol. So this is what new. about Warren Oates? I have a lot to say about Warren Oates, actually. I have opinions about Warren Oates. Oh, please do tell. This is our third Warren Oates movie. Okay. Here's what I love about. Okay, actually, if you don't have your uh, automatic subtitles on, put them on. I have the auto generated subtitles on. So, I, so I'm going to be talking over the Lord's Prayer here. What I like about Warren Oates is that he's the only actor in Hollywood, I think, in the late 70s, early 80s, where they realized Bill Murray cannot beat him. Every other authority figure in a Bill Murray film, you know, 
cowers before him and Bill Murray tears him a new one with his attitude and everything. But you know what? Warren Oates fucking sucker punches Bill Murray and whips him into shape. This man right here, this hobo walking onto the screen right now. He looks so bad. Like that sunken beard of his. It oh. makes his chin sink. And this yeah. is like this is like two years before stripes too. So this is like a pre 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 stripes war notes. <laughs> he passed away in like eighty three, I think. So this is seventy nine. On death to worlds. So stripes is the movie you're talking about, right? Where he's the king. Yeah, that's Lord's stripes, River. all right. Yeah, stripes where the he's the uh, he's the uh, the drill sergeant, Hulka, Sergeant right? Holka. Holka, yes. And the movie has fun with him, and he kind of like gets into some shenanigans. But the movie does not humiliate him the way that, like you know, the EPA guy in Ghostbusters or the other authority figures right, tend to be. Right. Yeah, yeah. He did. The movie get... kind of the movie agrees with Warren Oates' character that Bill Murray's character is kind of an asshole. The movie yeah. is on Warren Oates' side, and I like that. Lighten up, Francis. Exactly. <laughs> So this, we are seeing the funeral of um, uh, Christy McNichols' mother, okay? And, and Warren Oates shows up. Yeah, he is the father who has never been around, you know. And this is the aunt and uncle here who, you know, have been the caretakers of Christy McNichol. And the mom is the one who's like, fuck off you. And, and the father's reasonable, you know. So that's how this is going to play out. Gotcha. Aunt May, Uncle Ben. Yeah. And that's my... Is she going to say, you're my old man? Like, when will she say that? Uh, no, he's always referred to as the old man. This is from an Ernest Hemingway book. Uh, a short story. A short oh, story. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, I read it, uh, be but before you're impressed, it was a short story. <laughs> I read it for this movie, and um, it hugs it, but it's different. You know? <sighs> Okay, that tablecloth either matches the wallpaper too much or not enough. I can't decide which, which it is. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would be distracted. Oh, look, Whenever I see a movie with wallpaper, I'm like, I'm glad I was born when I was. I'm, I'm glad I was born post-wallpaper. There's a grease post Grease. Grease. Okay, so this is current. This is a contemporary. Yeah. Now that grease poster will travel with her. Which is why it doesn't go, and it can't go on wallpaper, I guess. I guess he couldn't put posters over wallpaper, so it's just rolled up on her bureau there. <laughs> you think that uh, John Travolta walks around with a Christy McNichol uh, poster? Oh, I promise you, yeah. Yeah, they are linked. They're linked. Oh, God, no one has to act in this movie. They just, oh. <laughs> Uh, Maybe it was a TV movie. Without, I didn't have to care. We're listening without the audio. There's some serious acting going on here. Warren Oates is, uh, is really butting heads with the parents, especially the mom. And um, I, I don't know. They're acting it well. It's tense. She's never seen her father before. She's keeping mum. If you were listening, it's, it's, this isn't so terrible. How can you listen when all I see is that rug? And now I'm considering how the rug <laughs> and that wallpaper work together. Good lord! This is like some. This is like they're they're clearly trying to not gaslight her exactly, but they're trying to drive her insane. I think it's seasonal wallpaper. They put up that in spring. Ah, okay. Now it all makes sense. She hasn't left the house in two years. <clears throat> that funeral was the first time. I, I'm getting serious poltergeist two vibes here. You're all going to die. 
You see like the wing there? It's like a shellac. It's famous hair. So they so never they agreed. Okay, you can sit with her on the porch for a couple minutes. That's as far as the mom, the aunt will go. And he's going to give her like a locket from the mother. You ought to have it. Uh, and it's it's a well acted, awkward convert, awkward situation. Sure. Sure. I wonder if he's going to point out that like her blouse is like a, perhaps a little too translucent. Yeah, they probably figured, yeah, you know, it's it's standard definition, 1979 television. Nobody's going to notice. Well, Mike and I were like eight, ten years old in this time, and like this is accurate. That kind of hairstyle, that kind of sheer. Thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The wallpaper, everything you were saying. Yeah. Bottom things matched. See, that was the great thing about growing up in Fresno in the 70s is we didn't have wallpaper. We had wood panels and stucco. Yeah. So, you know, we were we were very tray modern. No, you know, nothing avocado colored and no conversation pit, but lots of wall, lots of wood panels. Very Brady Bunch in that regard. Well, it's kind of cool, too, because you could tell the uh, the neck of the woods, like you could tell what part of California you are when, when you see that kind of wood, wood paneling. Now you see the grease posters going with her. Oh, yeah, there we go. Roll it up, for God's sake. They've, they've invented rubber bands. You can do better than that. <laughs> and also, she was packed. She was packed and ready to go. So she knew she was going to leave with him. He thought it was five minutes on the porch. And uh, her mother has passed away, and she's going with her father. She loves her aunt and uncle, everything they've done for him, and she'll be back for school. Jesus. I think she could probably run wherever she's going, because that hair is practically like a flash helmet. I mean, good lord, she's just like in the breeze. Look at that. Yeah, must have hit like the sound of light and just. Yeah. <laughs> she's in the, she's in the speed force, clearly. Now you see the horse trailer. Yeah. That's his life. Horses. That's where Warren Oates carries his whores. Gotcha. Good to know. Okay. I had no idea. There's horses in this. Yeah. <laughs> ten and two, Warren. All right, keep him at ten and two. Good job. The hat. He, he's dressed like he's from the 40s. So, so we've ball. seen him as a rooster, uh, a cockfighter. We've seen him as a skip boat captain. And now we're seeing him as a horse trainer. Yeah. And I just saw him something recently. Like uh, I watched it on TCM. Uh, well, I mean, how do we know this is not a stealth sequel to Tulane Blacktop? Maybe this is like GTO, his character GTO a few years later. You know, during still the daytime. Yeah. Yeah. Still going after the young girls. I mean, it's his daughter this time, so ick. But, you know, it's the 70s. It's Warren Oates. Things were different then. So he I was really like Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier. He was in John Dillinger. Or he was John Dillinger in Dillinger. He was, Dillinger. He was in The Wild Bunch. Yes, he was. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. No, Oates, Oates was in, like, a lot of really amazing films. Speaking of Star Trek The Motion Picture, for a while... Philip, the director, Philip Kaufman, who went on to do the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, was going to be making a movie called, a real movie called Star Trek The Motion Picture that would have come out in like 75, 76. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, it's all detailed in my book, but among the reasons why Kaufman got the job was his previous film was called The White Dawn, start from like 72, 73, starring Warren Oates, Timothy Bottoms, and... Uh, 
Luce Gossett Jr., actually. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great film. I highly recommend it. It's oh, probably be great for this podcast, you. but I I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just have to point out the drinking while driving. Oh yeah. And it's yeah. on TV. <laughs> 1979, it's on TV. Mm-hmm. Okay, please continue. I just had to point it out. And I'd like to point out that according to the subtitles, she called him out on the drinking, and his reply was, I haven't had an accident yet, honey. <laughs> so there you go. Also, they're pulling into a place that's advertising Italian food. That was one of the uh, the mini signs there. But yeah, White, The White Dawn, directed by Philip Kaufman, starring Warren Oates, highly recommended. Uh, I'll check it out for sure. I, I like Philip Kaufman, too. I blame him for a police academy. <laughs> blame. Well, because he, uh, in the documentary, the, the people doing the production staff for the right stuff, which was shooting in San Francisco, thought it was funny that um, uh, Feldman was uh, the mayor, the female mayor, uh-huh. was trying to recruit people to join the police department. And that's kind of how the people involved with the police academy came up with the premise. And if you ever watched Police Academy, which is on Tubi, uh, the opening credit says the female mayor decided to ask civilians to join up. And why a movie would begin and single out the female uh, mayor is because well, of the, real the life, right? Because yeah. it's nineteen eighty. Because the eighties, yeah. Yeah, it, it was hysterical. They 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 made a comedy empire based on mm-hmm. that. Oh yeah, I mean, presenting Persis Kambata is among other things a stealth examination of how fucking terrible. 1980s Hollywood was, unless you were a straight, white, powerful man, anyone else was just deeply fucked in those days. You, you were bringing up the death threats that she received for being in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, no yeah. one else had death threats, it seemed. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe Stephen Collins did. Not, I, yeah, I don't know if they did or if they didn't, but, I mean, like, Leonard Neboy, like, all the actors had gotten, you know, threats in the past when they said they weren't going to do the series again, but the concentrated, like, she had people calling her at all hours. It's like, you know, not just like, you know, obviously there was an email, but not just letters. People were, like, calling her, leaving messages, saying they were going to come and kill her. Because Hollywood is great and fans are great. <laughs> well, that's, you guys should check out that book, especially if you're into the movies. Uh, the way you talk about the special effects and how it harmed her. Uh, you forget when you watch a movie from the seventies; it's not CGI. That you go, oh, it's practical. It's practical. Mm-hmm. You don't realize like how much danger that people are put in. They can oh, yeah. be absolutely. Yeah, she was frozen. She was burnt. She had got carbon dioxide poisoning. She was blinded. She was blinded for a couple of days because of the lights in the final scene. It's just ah. And for what? When you watch the movie, you're, you know, my eyes weren't open anyway. No offense to her. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't, it was, the, it didn't pay off. Yeah, the audience was asleep by that scene, so. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was like, oh, Vigor! Oh, I get it, Voyager! Yeah. Oh! They, they scratched out some letters. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that makes sense, because the Voyager 6 was lost, and Vigor has letters from Voyager 6. Yeah, I didn't even think it, of that. It all fits together, Vigor. You know, we infest Enterprise anyway, right? We what? Infest, that's in the movie. Oh, yes, the carbon units infest the Enterprise, because Vigor considers the Enterprise to be a living creature, while it does not consider the humans to be, to be true, true life forms. Yeah, what an intelligent computer Vigor is. He's getting it wrong all the time. You are the creator. Yeah, sure, whatever you say, Vigor. 
Hey, so you want to, oh, you want to get into this? Okay, so they start off by talking about how it's this, this you know, mysterious being of incredible destructive power that's just destroying everything it beat, everything it finds. And then not only do they go through the power field without a scratch, I mean, Ilea gets killed, but whatever. The ship goes through it without a scratch. There are no danger whatsoever. They go inside the ship. They walk right Voyager itself, this thing of incredible destructive power, and Spock pulls a piece of metal right off of it and uses it to open a panel, which is basically <laughs> the equivalent of like one of my favorite things in comedy action movies, which is killing someone with their own limb, cutting off someone's arm, then beating them to death with it. It's basically the same principle. It's like Spock walks right up to it, pulls off a piece of no metal security. from Voyager. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you're telling us it's like this incredible, powerful thing, and it does nothing. It hurts, well, it kills Ilea, but, you know, other than that. Well, By it, the way, it, I want to make sure that we're all in sync. Are they in bed together right now? Yes, but bed. it's just, okay, so what she's learned is there's no hotel. There's no, she, it's the horse thing. Uh, okay, he's been poor for the last three years and out of the horse business, but we don't know that yet. So she's walked into his <sighs> brain wreck of a life. Okay. And basically these are questions about why didn't you, you know, why didn't you come get me? Why did you leave our, my mother? You know, like they're having it out right now. And the guy who wrote this is graduated from Brandeis, Mike. Ooh. Oh, that's my alma mater. Did I mention yeah, that? That's <laughs> such a good film. <laughs> it's, did you just get an earthquake? I think, just, I, I think he's spent too much time looking at Warren Oates. It kind of feels like an earthquake. An earthquake. Warren Oates is watching me. <laughs> My favorite band. Wow, we just had an earthquake. Sorry, Carl. So, Mike, um, this will air later, but today's – should we record the time and – with the earthquake, it's happening in real time. It's this Sunday at two on. Uh... <laughs> okay, okay, it just happened now. That's what yeah. the audience will believe. This is California. They just happen. Yeah. I don't even notice. It has to be like Northridge for me to notice it. Otherwise, the earth shakes again. I've I've lived in this this state for forty eight years. I don't notice the earth shaking anymore. <laughs> How many have you like say you slept through? Like I slept through a couple. Oh, countless. I'm always hearing people saying, oh, my God, there was a huge earthquake at, like, 5.30. Well, fuck you. I'm asleep at 5.30. I'm not going to notice an earthquake. <laughs> Didn't feel it. Didn't wake me up. Uh, now, every um, episode, Mike and I uh, find a Star Trek uh, connection. And today it's our director. The director is John Ehrman. He is known for, like, television work, really. Uh, you know, The Fugitive, Outer Limits, Peyton Place, Roots. One of them is he directed an original series, uh, The Empath. It was the third season. Oh, okay. Uh, 1968. Uh, it was the 12th episode. And um, I remember it. What was it? It was... Uh, they you know, it's, it's one of the few interesting episodes of the third season. It's an interesting... Visually, it's an interesting episode, and not many of them were. She would empathize, touch. It would go into her. She'd be sick for a moment. <laughs> And then it would go away. She'd feel the pain, but but then it would dissipate and she'd be better. So two things about that episode that are of interest. One of them is that it's shot on like a blank black set, mm -hmm. sort of like a void kind of set, which mm -hmm. makes it interesting in a way that most of the other episodes it weren't. 
And the other interesting thing, and I now realize I might be confusing, I might be confusing with another episode, but fuck it, oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna barrel on through, <clears throat> is that it was written by Sherry Lewis of, no, Sher- of Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop fame. Except <laughs> I might be thinking, I might be thinking of the Lights of Zetar. Yeah, now that I say it aloud. <laughs> yeah, she didn't write that one, but uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, she did the. Yeah, Sherry Lewis Lamb- wrote the I puppet. wrote the Lights of Zetar. Yeah. Cool. When although the, although the empath was was a fan submission, that is one of the things that's interesting about it was that it was a a script which was submitted by a fan. That's interesting and almost very uncommon, really. Oh, back in those days, for sure, yeah. So I heard um, Lamchuk. I heard Lamchuk took all the writing credit. Like when Sher- when uh, Sherry Lewis wrote something, it would he would say, "I wrote it. Uh, my wife typed it up for me." Well, yeah, it's the 1960s. Of course, the man is going to take credit, even even if the man is a lamb puppet. Still going to take credit because, you know, you don't want women writing these things. He learned it from Walter Keen. Okay, so this is the first foray that he has back into the business. He's been hired as a horse trainer uh, by this owner. And now, um, by the way, her name is Joe uh, as the character. You know, it's I keep calling her Christy McNichol, but she's now falling in love with this one particular horse and a a lot of act one and two is going to hinge on this horse wait what happens in act three to the horse uh oh look at those hats i'm sorry i'm just loving those two old men hats (laughs) yeah to them like just yesterday was the 40s you know yeah and they're both jaunt. They're both at the same jaunty angle and everything. Ah, oh, love it. Pull up those pants a little more, though, guy. Ah. So, I got the car. Get some grape upon. <laughs> now, this guy, this uh, he's the owner, and his name is uh, Joseph Marr, something like that. The guy he in the Century Twenty One jacket. He was in uh, Heaven Can Wait, Time After Time. That that uh, Christopher Reeve one. He was in Mars Attacks. He was in the Out of Towners, Sister Act. He's for real. He'll go on to have a lot of a career. He's a jobbing character actor. Nothing wrong with that. And this is the son who's going to become a love interest for uh, Christy McNichol. Really? Yeah, he's our love interest. He's in the sweater. His baby James Marsden. He was the bad guy in Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox. Okay, there's a clown on the wall of this diner. Yeah, it's there. There was definitely a clown. Okay, we've seen that. Guy. Oh, so many character actors in this. Oh my god. <laughs> they're just they're just going for the commissary food. They're not uh, even shooting. Well, in the real see world, clown on the wall, clown on the wall. This is Sarasota Springs, New York, where there's a big horse. Uh, pl- you know that's where they are, and this is like a famous cafe. <sighs> Look how 1970s and bland it is. Oh. And the and the rape in all the men's eyes as they look at Christy McNichol. Jesus, I don't it's like whatever the whatever the equivalent of a dag. Well, penises, I guess. Just so many penises no, no, flying no, out no. of their eyes. No way, no way. You don't. No, no, of course not. Whoa, whoa, like like the oh. eyes. <laughs> They're not even looking at her. Well, so she was Little Foxes was in '79, right? Like that movie, pretty much. Uh, Little Foxes. Oh, thank you, thank you, Mike, because you actually brought up something I meant to mention, which is that I haven't seen either Foxes or Little Darlings, but I always confuse the two. Me so you just you just did you just did you just did a Brundlefly thing by combining the names into Little Foxes. So so it's Foxes and Little Darlings. Yes, 
and, and right. Foxes is the one with with both Scott Bayo and uh, Jodie Foster reunited from. Um, oh God, that's the Bugsy. one. Bugsy Malone. Yeah, we watched that. That was great. That was Dexter Fletcher. Was great in that. Yeah, Dexter Fletcher, our director of the Monkey. That uh, director of Hebe uh, Rassi, I guess. So. Okay, yeah, but 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 on our film, on our show. Okay, so Little Darling Darlings was 1980. It was with Tatum O'Neill, Matt Dillon, and Cynthia Nixon, and of course, Christie was our the star of it. Of course. But they make a bet, right? Like who's going to lose their their virginity first? I don't remember. I did see the film. Yeah, I never saw it. I mean, if the question is, is the movie ultimately about boys trying to fuck them, then yes. I mean, that's a pretty safe bet. Since that's, I mean, but here, talking about the, the rapey looks here. Oh, my God. Newsboy just wants to oh, go to town. Uh, I'm so sorry. I've got to disagree with you. I've seen this movie four times, and there is no creeping on uh, Christy McNichol. He, she will have this one boyfriend uh you know, like implied boyfriend. They will dance, and I think they kiss. I'm not sure if they do. Uh, it might have happened during the dance. I will, I will, I will defer to your mild man knowledge, of course. <laughs> also, the, 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 the horse in the doorway keeps freaking me out. That horse picture. The horse wants it. Let the horse in. <laughs> What's with the Wilbur. long face? <laughs> Windows on many tours. I'm Mr. Red. Welcome Back to Back in the 90s, I was in a very famous TV show. Oh, that's it. Nice short walk from the bar to the house. Oh, but there's well, neon. No, Yay, there's neon. I like neon. No, he's going into the bathroom. Is this the horse club? He's going into the bathroom, and she's no fool. She knows he's going to go sip his flask in there. He's about to go get like the four shots in a row, and she's pissed off. Sit between these two strange men. Yeah, I'm the father around here. You sit here till I come back. Boing 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 boing. Horses, the horses are on the track. Oh, hi, Ron Howard. Good to see you. I'm waiting for Mr. Howard. I have a proposition. I like the Red Bull. I like the Red Balloon chairs. Those are nice. That's a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, they have enough weight, and when the wind blows, they don't. They don't roll. <laughs> what he's doing right now, he's getting a bad tip. He will put a bunch of money on a race, and it was a bad tip. <laughs> and all of it on my old man. Gotcha. No, it was a metaphor, you idiot. <laughs> Do you see his Hunter S. Thompson cigarette holder? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, can I ask you, like, horse racing is not year-round, right? It's a seasonal event. Like, the, those yeah. horse tracks aren't open all year. Right, especially in Saratoga Springs, where it really snows. They're in Saratoga Springs, California, uh, Florida, right? No, California? New York. Oh, you're, maybe New you're thinking of Sarasota, Florida. Hold on, let me pull it up here. It is Saratoga Racetrack, Saratoga Springs, Saratoga Springs. Oh, love, loving the loving the static, loving the colorful static on the TV. Nice touch, guys. Said, you uh, see well, how well, honest well, that is? Remember the rabbit ears? Yeah. Oh yeah. 
I remember put I put foil on rabbit ears. That's how white trash I was. <laughs> <laughs> but Sherilyn, when you used to see a TV on a movie and it would be all clear, wouldn't you think to yourself, that's bullshit? It never looks good like that. It's always snowy. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. It's like I I never trusted something on a TV in a movie unless right. it had like the video lines going down it. Yeah, then you knew the TV was on. Mm-hmm. So well, now he's like you got any money? And she's like, no, I don't have any money. And he goes, all right, guys, I got to stop betting. And he walks away. That's so loser. Well, I always, you know, I always know that, like, movies, uh, when, when TVs are shown on movies, they're in different frame per second. So mm -hmm. I kind of like it when it syncs up and I don't notice that there's the lines. Like, I just, I would rather it look cool and professional than, you know, I see those lines. Right. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't really develop that technology till like the late seventies. I think like the Boys from Brazil was one of the first films <clears throat> to use a twenty-four frame per second video uh, screen, so oh. that you wouldn't get those lines. Right. And the Nazis think of everything. They really do, you know. Yeah. They <laughs> they did some bad stuff, but they also you know, they also removed the lines from the TVs. So you know, yeah, there's good pe there's good people on both sides. Trains ran on time. Uh -huh. Oh, baby, James Marsden. Such a cutie. So this no. is great. We don't have to see Star Trek the motion picture. We could stay home. You got horses and Christy McNichol. She's coming. It's with everything for the whole family. Yeah. And all the women have hair. There's no bald chicks. So whew, thank goodness for that. Now that's Guilford. Oh, that's the same horse from the beginning. And they're like, this horse doesn't like humans. And Christy McNichol is like, rubbish. She just never made a good connection <laughs> with one. So now Guilford is they're training him. He's going to be a champion. Oh, now I'm disappointed that she didn't actually yell, rubbish. It's I really want to hear Christy Musical say, rubbish. Oh, she turns it to National Velvet all of a sudden. Yeah. I'm Elizabeth Taylor, age seven. That's a cock and bull story, I tell you what. <laughs> this is 1979. Oh, there's Hunter Thompson. There's There he is. <laughs> wow. We're at the farmer's market and there's Paul Morziski holding. Well, court. they're, they're <laughs> gambling. Now what's happening right now is, is uh, the guy, his name is David uh, Margulies. His name's Chubby in this thing, but you might've seen Chubby. Him. Yeah. It is 79. <laughs> you well, can have guys named Chubby. Yeah. And he was in Ghostbusters too, as one of the cops. And he was, oh. you see his face. He's got the wide tie there. Oh yeah. I've seen him in a million things. Yeah. Okay, all you need to know is that there was big static between he, him and Warren Oates, and that's one of the reasons why he wasn't in racing for three years. That's going to pay off later. Uh, Mike, I'd just like to point out that Carl thinks anything in this movie is going to pay off. I just want to, I just want to bring that back into the light. <laughs> if it's based on Hemingway, you know, there's like something's going to have to pay off. Ah. There's going to read a letter at the end. You I think he reads funny. a letter at the end and he in, goes, ah, oh, the choices. Oh, is that a half happens in this movie. It's not even a half hour into it. The horse village. Did they realize that they're being exploited for a CBS uh, television movie? No, this is all Saratoga. They're walking around oblivious. You know what? I'm getting serious Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park vibes from the from these shots. Just random shots of people walking around in an amusement park. Same, oh, yeah. same principle at work. <laughs> that was shot in the Hitachi building uh, in Brisbane. 
there was kiss, a kiss the fan of the park uh yeah oh. the kiss movie sure wait yeah no. there, was, there was some like laboratory scenes and they they shot an inside there uh, okay i read the, the correspondence when i was temping there 20 years ago from nice. 78 apparently they were jerks kind of barbara productions they didn't know I don't think Bechtel will open their doors again. <laughs> it wasn't Hitachi. Hitachi. Hold that horse, baby James Marsden. Hold that horse. They could only afford one horse in several different patches with different numbers. Just, you know. <laughs> the owner's putting pressure on him. You better win. Are you going to win? I don't know. It's a horse race owner. I don't know. Well, you better win. Pressure, pressure. Don't bring up people or cookies, Carl. It's rude. A quick question for you guys. Are you at 30 minutes yet? It feels, I hope so. It feels like an hour. No, I'm on 29.50. Okay, me yeah. too. Okay. okay. I was a little worried that I was out of sync, but nope, we're good. Yeah, okay. I oh, think we're good. onto the horse, onto the horse. Oh, there we go. All right. Yay. Warren Yay. got the jockey up. Good job. Now, Good Mike, job do you remember, Mike, you remember Lake Hapakon when you lived in Jersey? Yeah, I do. Lake Hapakon. Oh. And then there's that amusement park there. It was out on the island. That was where they filmed Kiss Phantom. Kiss meets the Phantom, Phantom of the Park, oh. whatever it was called. Oh, no shit. I didn't realize it was the amusement park in New Jersey over there. Yeah, that's right. And But the interior stuff might be shot in San Francisco, I guess. I never Okay, okay. Yeah. Two, two things I like to point out here. First of all, the, broad, the American broadcast title was Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. But the European theatrical release was Kiss in Attack of the Phantoms. And that was the version that we showed at Bad Movie Night because we were classy like that. Right. And the other thing I'd like to point out is that the park in question is Magic Mountain here in the Bay Area in sunny California. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Jersey, New Jersey theme park, indeed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, you're like going to take credit for... No, it's Birchville take... Island. Okay, wait, I'm looking it up. You can yeah, take check the internet. The internet will tell us. Yeah, you can take credit for Beverly Hills Cop Three too. That that was here in the Bay as well. Beverly Hills Cop Three. Yeah, but that was in Hoboken, New Jersey. You could see the twin towers in the back. <laughs> oh, Carl, too soon. Kiss meet the Phantom. You can see Kiss dancing as the towers collapse. I saw it myself. <laughs> Gene Simmons charged me ten dollars to get a photo of him That's in front right. of the collapsing that tower. That sounds like them. Okay, here's Wikipedia. Oh God, where is I? Where is that little guy from? What do I recognize him from? I mean, a million things, but I feel like there's one thing in particular. Do you mean the Francis guy movies? who's the jockey? Yeah. Okay, so in the future he will look very different because he's going to lose his hair and he's going to get old. Um, his name—you'll know him from like. Okay, let's see here. Yeah, it's like oh, it's driving me crazy. Well, he was uh, Miss. Okay, he was an evening shade. Okay, his name is Michael Jeter. He was Mr. Noodle's brother in Elmo's World. He was that's Michael Jeter. Tango and Cash, The Fisher King, Waterworld. Yeah. Airboat. Oh, Lydia, we've got it all for you, Lydia. Wow. Okay. Jurassic Park Three. Oh, okay. You know what? You know what? Part of what's happening here. Is now I was confusing Michael Jeter with uh, the little the little guy from Ghostbusters Two. Uh -huh. Slimer. Close, very uh -huh. close. Uh, 
the guy the guy who works with Sigourney Weaver's character and then gets oh, possessed yeah. by Vigo. I'm confused. I'm getting those two confused. Okay, I'm getting my short people oh, confused. No. My apologies. Carolyn, you're right. Oh, Look at this. He's oh. drinking in the middle of town. How cool is that? Okay, I was wrong. It was shot in California. Magic. You taking credit? USA, USA, USA. You got your action park movies. Why don't you just be happy with that? Right. We don't get any documentaries about our crappy amusement parks. So yeah. geez. let it, let us have our kiss telephone. I guess. I guess this was some sort of rumor or something because I've always thought that, and it's always been talked about in Jersey Circle. <laughs> <laughs> your, your credit is a bunch of that's where they made it. 40 years ago told me it was shot here. How could they be wrong? So uh, spe speaking of such things, uh, so Mike, you might find this interesting. I actually have a, a book coming out later this year, a memoir called Beautiful Ghosts, which is about San Francisco in the 2000s. Oh. And, oh, and about, you know, of course, my experiences in San Francisco in the 2000s. And among other things, I will discuss the rumor that the country bar scene in 48 hours was shot at the dark room. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, uh, it, was, it wasn't, of course, but you may recall okay. that was a rumor that went around and like would not go away that like that scene in 48 hours was shot at the dark room. Well, the dark room had, it was a bar originally. And when the theater came to be, they kept the bar. The, the bar itself is this gorgeous wooden kind of mm -hmm. looks like the, the, bar the physical bar inside the 48 hours bar but oh yeah yeah that and the glass blocks out front between those two that's why yeah, people but... you know people were saying but clearly it was shot in a space much much bigger than the dark room yeah and not even the exterior is the same no but, it's, uh... it's from the driver he walter hill did this thing where he used the same set from the driver like it's not even in san francisco that was like an la bar set from yeah. the uh, ryan o'neill movie and he just reused it for 48 hours. However, it, you know, he got uh, Fillmore District kind of right. He got the, all the, you know, North Beach in the sequel, all the parts of town, like the, 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 the brothel is in Knob Hill, you know, like mm -hmm. he had, he kind of had a good sense of the city, oh, yeah. but, you know, so you would figure that bar was part of it, but it was just a, it was just a set. It, it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. It was actually, I did not know that about, about it being used in the driver as well. And I'm curious, do you know what the name of the bar was in The Driver? Did, was the name, uh, of, did, we, did we ever get a name? It's something about the lantern. Yeah, the name is present. I don't remember, to be honest okay, with you. Yeah, I'm going to have to go check because in 48 oh, uh, Hours, it's, it's called Torchies. Torchies. The, bar, the bar in 48 Hours is called Torchies. And then in Walter Hill's very next film, and again, I, I actually go to detail in this in my book, in Walter Hill's very next film, Streets of Fire, the bad guys, the evil biker gang, they also hang out at a bar called Torchies. Oh. Yeah, so Walter Hill liked that name. It's spelled... Hey, Eileen Brennan. Yay! Okay, I gotta give plot now, okay? Now, what happened is Guilford lost... give plot. Guilford lost. The owner was like, you're gonna be... You know, maybe I'm gonna fucking fire you. So now we're moving into our act two in which he's going to start to act independently by his own horse and stuff like that. And we're meeting an act two supporting character. This is the long lost girlfriend. Yay, Eileen Brennan. Where you were. Wait, oh, so yeah, that was the woman he was seeing before he met your mother. It, it's unclear if it's before. Um, I mean, yes, they knew each other before she was born, so it has to be. But 
like there i don't know it's sort of like the mother substitute in our film is what she's going to become but <laughs> the backstory is unclear she's the love interest of warren oak it's, it's, it's the best of both worlds you were deceived by your mom but you have this woman as your mom now yeah right so, yeah <laughs> yeah like if i had met and married her you wouldn't have been born because you would have been a different person so it works out now she's terrific she started with divorce american style but remember she was in clue oh eileen brennan there's she has never not made a film better yeah no matter yeah. how bad a movie it is when eileen brennan shows up it just gets better you know wasn't she in fair and loathing in las vegas as the waitress you know who you're thinking of is um the actress who played Vasquez in Aliens. I'm blanking on her name at the moment. Oh, okay. Warren. No. Oh, good, because I felt like that that's exactly what that person did, was make a terrible movie better. No argument there. No argument there. God, I'm totally – Jeanette – Oh, I'm totally blanking on her name. But, yeah, she does have that kind of Eileen brennan quality Brennan's. to her. She was in The Sting. She was in Stella with Bette Midler. Mm -hmm. Mike, you'll find this interesting. In 2003, yeah. in 2003, a cameo role of Babysitter in Cheaper by the Dozen cast Brennan after seeing Private Benjamin on television. Uh, but the wow. cameo was deleted from the cut of the movie. She received credit in the credits and a payment. But but she it was on the cutting room floor. So she was in Cheaper by the Dozen, one of your favorite Steve Martin films. Oh yeah, that was that was uh, released Christmas Day, and then the following yeah. Christmas Day, Cheaper by the Dozen two came out. Yeah, and, uh, God bless. <laughs> I'm sure they would have made a third special. one too. You know, they were going to make a third of Cheaper by the Dozen 3, but the, the crew is like, no, Steve Martin, that's a terrible idea. Please stop. Stop while you're ahead. Don't you have enough art? Do you really need to make another one of these movies to buy more paintings? I mean, come on, Steve Martin. Right. How many banjos can you own, dude? <laughs> <laughs> well, it gives me, affords me time to write my own work, like about this uh, woman who's a sales clerk at a fancy store. And a guy like me comes up to, oh, hang on, save it for the movie. <laughs> the cool fuse. That's what he's writing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, oh, he's that valuable shot for all IP. Oh, yeah, right. It's, you, I can see that on Amazon or uh, Epic. And so, Jeanette, Jeanette Goldstein, Weekly. that's who it was. Jeanette Goldstein played Vasquez. As that the waitress? In, uh, yeah. That's her. As the, I'm really sorry, not, not even as the waitress, as the maid. Oh, right. Yeah, very, very, very difficult scene to watch, as I recall. It's been years since I've seen the movie, but I seem to recall they're basically torturing her, like psychologically torturing her for no good, especially for no good reason. But the reason is because they can. That's their reason. Well, they, they, they really needed drugs, so that was the conflict, I sure. guess. Yeah. Yeah, poor guys, they're out of drugs. <clears throat> You know, it's a, I am having a harder and harder time with movies that are just about guys being assholes. I realize that means that yeah. like almost all of film history is going to be difficult for me to watch now. But it's like I I just rewatched The Graduate, and there is no way in which Mrs. Robinson is not the hero of that film. It's like 
the Hoffman's character is he's that he's you know Benjamin Braddock is just a dick. I don't really like him. Anne Bancroft is amazing in that film. She is by she's there's no way she's not the hero. Well, you mentioned the two thousands. Those films we recently watched are my super ex girlfriend. All the men in those movies, I think Crashers, they're toxic as fuck. Mm -hmm. Remember Willie Wilson? Yeah. He was so toxic in that. He was our Star Trek connection in that episode because he played Harry Mudd in, in I don't know, whatever the one is today that people stream. Uh, You're thinking thinking of Rain Wilson. Right, Rain Wilson. Yeah, he was in Super... Yeah, we saw him in my super ex girlfriend. Oh, he was in that. I didn't realize that. Okay. Well, he, he was, was he was he was Luke's buddy. Uh, he would say like Luke, you know, they would they would commute together and let's check out the girls, and they would go to work together and check out the girls, and they'd be at the gym together. You know, like they would always he would be like, Ooh, look at that girl. Yeah. yeah. They spend like twenty two hours a day together. Did you know Eileen Brennan for two months was a regular on Rowan and Martin's Laugh In? Speaking of toxic oh, assholes, great. but wow. Huh. And Carl Reiner considered her for the part of Mary Tyler Moore in the in that um, uh, Dick Van Dyke show. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, Carl Reiner, who was seeking an actress to play the role of Laura Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke show, flew her from New York to Los Angeles to audition for the part. However, the role was given to Mary Tyler Moore. We know that. And you know what? I wasn't there, but I know I'm sure it was entirely because they were like, "Okay, we can have Rosemary in the cast or we can have Eileen Brennan in the cast. They are both very funny. But nobody want no no men watching are going to want to fuck either of them. You have to have at least one woman in the cast that the men want to fuck. You know, you, you have the funny woman they don't want to fuck, and you have the fuckable one who is no, she's pretty. She's not really funny, but she's not meant to be either. What was her name again? The the writer, the co-writer you just mentioned, Rosemary. Rose. Yeah, Rosemary. When I started reading, Carl Reiner, who was seeking an actress to play. My mind was with that character. I thought that was what I was going to read. Because she does, uh, uh, Elaine Brennan really does fit her. She would have been good in that role, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she might have made the home, she might have made the home scenes actually entertaining. Because the thing about the Dick Van Dyke show now is that the only scenes that are worth watching are the ones in the writer's room. And really, yeah. even then, yeah. all you need is Maury Amsterdam and Rosemary right. riffing off of each other. Yeah, that is right. all that works on that show anymore. The scenes at home, the domestic stuff, it's 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 useless. It just How would it you just like a knuckle time. sandwich? I don't eat pork. I remember <laughs> that banter. Okay, there he is sitting down again, Mr. Noodle's brother. Look how young he is. He hasn't lost his hair. You can hardly see it's Michael Jeter. He was in the Fisher King. He was in the Green Mile and Patch Adams and Mouse Hunt and Air Bud. Guy went okay, on. but there's a. Hmm. Oh, I saw. I remember him in Air Bud. He said, "Come back with my skateboard, dog." You, hey you. I hey you. Officer, stop that terrier. He took my skateboard. Sure, Mister. You're as crazy as everyone else here at Venice Beach. <laughs> now Michael Jeter is a jockey. Okay. And we're learning that he was part of the reason, him and his father, that Warren Oates got screwed over three years ago and got kicked out of racing. 
Uh, and he's like, I'm trying to be your friend. I want to be your buddy. I want to make it up with you. And he, he'll never let him. But he doesn't have any other friends. Uh, no, everyone respects him as a horse trainer. He's just butting up against somebody who screwed him over in the courts. Got him kicked out of racing. Yeah, I remember that front page news. Uh, front page I'm, news. Just imagine the moray patterns that Oranotes' coat must have made on TV screens back then. <laughs> wow, that must have that must have been mesmerizing. I'm sure. But now it's a commercial break. Yeah. Stop adjusting your TV. By Menon. Yeah, back to the movie. Ah, oh, the Greece poster is up. Yay. Yeah. And there's you notice there's no branding. It doesn't say Greece or anything like that. It's just no. the characters. There's no text. But to be fair, I'm sure that was the poster they were selling. Oh, sure, sure. Now, in Saturday Night Fever, when uh, John Travolta wakes up, Farrah Fawcett's on the wall. You remember the famous poster? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many movies, though, had, like, Travolta from uh, Saturday Night Fever on the wall? There were a couple of films I remember. Yep. Where, yeah. There's a connection section in uh, IMDb on that, and I didn't bother. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you have... this is her house. She bought this house, and that's what she's bragging about. This is essentially a date, and she is so happy. Whoa, this is suggestive television. No, it isn't. One man's opinion. Eileen Brennan was in All in the Family. She was in uh, Sorry, guys, I got kicked out. Here I am back. Do you hear oh, me no. now? Yes. Okay, I'm plugged into the router. That's good. We were talking about toasters from the 80s. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I was a toaster in the 80s. I was always New Year's Eve. <laughs> Cheers, everyone! Made a lot of money that day. Is he pinching her ear? What is he doing there? God, stop that. Ugh. Look how clean shaven he is. It's not what I imagined his body would look like. Oh, right. You probably spotless it is i think it probably was shaved you for tv how much did they have to pay warren oates to, to be able to shave his chest it's like <laughs> you know that had to be extra that like that paid for his pool right there shaving yeah. his chest paid for his pool <laughs> i think he woke up and like they were they were pulling the hair off him like fuck <laughs> got me so you want to take a swing at me oh yeah i've never been the brig i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> No, that's right. So is Christine next door listening to this? Or like she's in a different I think she's under the she's under the bed, I think. No. No. <laughs> she is back at the horse trailer, their home, and she's upset that he's going on a date with her. She was saying before, like, mom was nicer than her and all this static, you know. She doesn't like that a substitute mom is here. God, yeah. yeah. Look at that, how pale he is. That is, yeah, that is, is this like a, this is a deep fake, right? This is clearly <laughs> his, his, his face on someone else's body, someone right? There's no way. Oh. Like the mileage varies. You look at his face, you look at his body, you're like, what happened? 
Also, War Notes is twiddling his thumbs. There we go. Well, there, that's his actor's choice right now. He's twiddling no, his no. thumbs. No, but if you're listening to the audio, there's a reason. <laughs> he's asked her for $2,000. That's what he's done. He's asked her. Okay. Do you remember uh, Mr. Noodle's brother, <laughs> Michael Peter, screwed over him three years ago? Well, he wants to make it up with him. He's doing an illegal kind of – he's a jockey, you know, and he's going to on purpose lose a race. So he gave him this tip. You bet money on this race, and then, you know, you, you've got a sure winner, and that shows you I'm still your friend. But he's, hey, so, he's, the horse is going to win, though, right? The, right, right, right? <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the horse is going to win, isn't it? Is Mr. Win? Noodle's brother will make sure that his <laughs> horse does not win, that the other horse wins. Okay, important question here. Okay. I, I don't think this movie will make sense otherwise if I don't get this clear. Okay. Is Mr. Noodle's brother not also Mr. Noodles? Or does no. he have a different name? He, his name is Michael Jeter. Okay, let's see. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Mr. Noodle's him. brother's name is Michael Jeter. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Glad we got that cleared up. <laughs> Mr. Noodles is Elmo's friend, right? On right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he would be part, he would be Mr. Noodle's brother in it oh montage short white shorts montage <laughs> nice well, first of all with the fall colors okay so a, a, this is one of the entertaining parts of this movie i know this movie's yeah, not right. good but <laughs> what's gonna happen is they're gonna bet on a horse okay then he's wow. gonna call back to the jockey's room and the jockey's gonna tell him things have changed now this horse is gonna win so he goes and bets on that horse, but he doesn't tell Marie, or he doesn't tell Christy McNichol, or um, uh, um, what's her name? I forgot all of a sudden. Eileen Brennan? Eileen Brennan, she, yeah. And so she'll think they lost, and he'll be beating them up, and then he'll reveal that they won, and that'll make her mad because she's been tricked, so she'll be beating them up. Ah. And, you know, I've just figured it out. Mike, what I figured out what Michael Jeter has been emanating all this time, yeah. and it's New York state New York stage actors slumming for a check energy. That's what's coming off of him in waves right he's now. Getting he scale. he knows he's better than this, but he's doing it anyway. Because what the hell? I could well, go upstate. I could shoot because I have one matinee on Saturday, but then I got to be back on Monday. Exactly. He's no, in a Pittman revival. Has to be there for that. <laughs> His days are to come. Right now, he is a no one actor. He'll mm -hmm. be in Evening Shade for four years, and then he'll be somebody. I can't even. What is Evening Shade again? Was it a sitcom or was it? Detective? It's the Burt Reynolds sitcom, wasn't it? Burt Reynolds. All right, I remember that. Never watched a single episode. He was in Never Zelig. Cared. That's cool, right? He was in Zelig. But he was in Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, and that is not cool. Do you get it? Because she's a nun and, and says he's back, in the, back in the Habit. So, so let me get this straight. You forgive him for being in a Woody Allen movie, but being in Sister Act 2, that's a bridge too far for you, huh? That's right. He was okay, in fair the enough. Fisher King. He was in The Fisher King. Now, that's very cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he was Lydia, we've got World. the porn for you, Lydia. Yeah. But he was in Waterworld, and that is not cool. But you know what is cool? Eileen Brennan with a flower in her hair. Bingo. That, Bingo. that, that, that forgives all sins right there. Well, I got money on uh, Boxcar. 
Come on, go boxcar. Come on, boxcar. Come on, Mr. Noodles, brother. Michael needs a new pair of mutiny <laughs> rental. Rent, uh, yeah, rent. right. We got August dues to pay. <laughs> Come on, boxcar. And it's boxcar. Oh, they must have the announcer. It can't be a sports movie without the sports announcer. Now, look how mad she, like, not mad, but. Oh, Eileen Brin is up on the chair. Fuck yeah. He's into it. Yeah, so go they're her. pissed, but he's happy, right? He's pretending not to smile. Now, it's a photo finish, so there's pressure right now. They don't know who won. Photo. Pressure. Pressure. Racetracks haven't changed much. Oh, are are we gonna get to see him tearing up a ticket after the race is over? I always like no, that. that's what you lose. That's what oh, you okay. Lose. <laughs> is he gonna? That, that's all it? I. That's all I know about horse racing is that at some point you tear up the ticket. That's all I know. <laughs> but if there's a girl My with father at the races, <laughs> yeah. But if there's a dad on the track, usually the kid has a stuffed animal. Now look, they look. She's like we lost, and he's like we won, but he's not saying uh, anything. And she's I'm, gone. You jerk! I'm gonna. And Leisure Suit Larry is standing behind Wardo's. <laughs> oh, there he is. There's Leisure Suit Larry. All right. There he is, Leisure Suit Larry. I can't believe it. Jaw <laughs> drop. Wait a minute. You're supposed to get the bottle and then give it to the cab driver and then go and uh, put the dollar <laughs> bill in the Oh, I was doing it all wrong. <laughs> okay, now he's been attacked. So he says, what does this say? What does this say? And she's like, well, that's the winning ticket. Tear up the ticket. Tear it up. <laughs> now she's mad that she's been deceived. <laughs> Oh, she hit it with the purse. Oh, yeah, a good purse I hit. Back. The guys love it. You get, like, the, the only thing I miss from the 20th century in movies is women hitting men with their purses. You don't get that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because usually the phone's in the purse. You don't want to damage Exactly. Phone. Ah, yeah, just keep going at it with the purse. Nice. <laughs> so, so the gangsters are going to... Be wise, right? They can, he can't get a break. No gangsters in this film. No Ernest Hemingway gangsters? No. You know, the story was different, man. Uh, the, he <sighs> knew, first of all, it was not Joe a woman. It was Joe a man. It was a boy. And he knew his father. His father was a jockey. Uh, that was a much deeper, there were similarities, but it's just not the same. There was no Eileen Brennan character. He didn't buy a balloon and then let it into the sky. Watch, he buys this balloon and just lets it go. Maybe it's a gender reveal but, uh, balloon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it covers all the bases. Yeah. <laughs> We're having See, a whatever bed. catches on fire is the uh, gender reveal. <laughs> that said, I do like that Christy McNichols' character is, to use the parlance of the times, I do like that she's a tomboy that there hasn't been like oh clown on the wall but there has not been any real attempt to like fim her up well yeah. that's fair that's really i like that cool. i like that you know what they're fimming up eileen brennan they're making her yeah. the sex pot that is oh good call good yeah, call john ehrman <laughs> i mean look at i mean look at that she has her she's she's wearing her top like she's in prison like she's the queen bitch in prison that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> eileen brennan runs this wing <laughs> And it's a different flower. It's a blue flower now. Ooh. Oh, so they know he's crooked. Someone has to know. Someone's right? going to rain on his parade. Well, this guy, David Margulies, you've seen his face before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, isn't he? He's the mayor in Ghostbusters, isn't he? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah. Ghostbusters too. He's in Ace Ventura. He's been all over. Uh, you, you're not supposed to like him in this uh, film. He was yeah. on The Sopranos. He was uh, uh, Times Square. That's a little old now, but Times Square. Yeah, 1980. Remember, remember that it was a nine and a half weeks. Of all the old uh, movies we're talking about, Times Square is the one you single out for being a little old. Wow. Well, it was oh, 1980. Um, yeah, that was 1980. Like I was a freshman in high school. It's kind of old to me. The other fair enough. Much fair more enough. Recent. Like the 90s. But There's I, new M&M store. Yeah. Oh, back when New York was cool, man. Yeah. Back when it was dangerous. God, Look, that's... smoking. Look. Oh, sure, it's a bar. Okay, the guy on the right, the guy sitting across from Michael Jeter, that character actor. Yeah. That's what what is his name? He, he That's the guy where it's like, it's driving me crazy. I've seen him in so many things, but I can't quite place him. Well, I think I'm probably going to fail you because Carl. in my research, yeah, it could be Joseph Leon, but it probably isn't. It could also be... Um, Joseph Leon as Shimmy. Yeah, Joseph Leon as Shimmy. That's right. That's the only one I don't have researched. So that's probably him, but I don't think so. Are they dancing to King Tut? By Steve Martin, yeah. Yes. Now, here is Love Interest, and this is the only time in which we're going to get, I think they might kiss. They're going to dance, and they're going to dance in private. Come on, Christy McNichol. Come on, go ahead and kiss baby James Marsden. Do it, do it under the clown painting. Baby James Marsden. <laughs> Now, in real life, she is a lesbian, or at least was at the time, and she eventually had a breakdown because it was very difficult for her that she had to hide it. Mm -hmm. um, it was 1982. Oh, yeah. She had an emotional breakdown. During a filming of a movie in France, she derailed the whole movie. I'm sure they blamed her. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, they, I'm sure the word hysteric was brought up at least one point. No, but guys, be fair. Listen to this. People Magazine reports she could not sleep and she cried the entire time she was in France. Oh, yeah. Years when she did sleep, she cried on the set at work. Now, if you're hired to do a movie and it's ready, roll them, and your star is sitting there crying, you might say she's being hysterical. We A lot of money's been invested in this. We're doing a film. It's yeah, but all, all stars, all stars are assholes. All stars are, are putting on... on motion there it's all factored in there uh, just because one person acts one way doesn't mean you you know like i'm sure men, everyone else were assholes there like i mean you know, men are studs and women are sluts it's basically the same thing you know men can be difficult you know when men are being difficult it's because they're artists when women are being difficult it's because they're bitches and they're just holding everything up it's yeah, like when you know, I, you know I, when when gene roddenberry when the whole production got shut down because of his ego and because of the constant rewrites they just shut down production for a week, and that was that. What could you do? But if Persis Kambata, she was told not to get sick or to come in even if she was sick because it would cost the production $30,000 a day if they couldn't shoot because of her. And they guilt-tripped her so hard. Mm. But, but when they weren't able to shoot because Gene Roddenberry, you know, was being a dick, eh, it's what are you going to do? He's an artist. He's a man. He's, He's a, a writer. Artist, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, guys, uh... Look, Gene Roddenberry, sure, he's the gender of a man, but he <laughs> created Star Trek. He is the king at the top of the pyramid. 
If that guy says we're shutting down production, I don't think anyone's going to go, you know, there's a reason he's, yes, he's a male, but consider he is Star Trek. They didn't, they didn't, the, the film wasn't produced right. You know, he was screwing he, it up. I don't know. It's, he, it's didn't, he, he got producer credit, but he didn't really produce the film. Um, Robert, Robert Wise was the actual producer, of the, main, the main producer of the film, him and, him and Michael Eisner. And uh, Roddenberry was just basically there as a figurehead. Roddenberry was there because the fans demanded Roddenberry be there. Otherwise, and Roddenberry didn't want to be there. That was, it was really too much work for him. He didn't care enough about the project to really be involved day to day when the, when the going got tough. That's here. You know, you would think, I understand why the fans would demand him just for symbolism, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and because he had convinced he convinced the fans that it's not real Star Trek unless I'm there. Yeah. And then the movie, and then this movie came out, the Gene Roddenberry production, and you know his name was all over it. They didn't like it, and then he got basically sidelined. He was not really involved in the second film, and oh. the fans, and the fans to this day, <clears throat> you know, they they ate crow and said, you know what, this is what we wanted all along. <clears throat> the Gene Roddenberry movie. There's no action. There's no shit blowing up. We don't get phasers firing. There's nothing that we. There's no actual and action. And con, yeah. Mm -hmm. And because there was, and because there was phasers and ships blowing up and stuff, then they were happy with it. That was what they wanted Star Trek to be. Yeah. And I go into all of this in my book. I go. I go into a big discussion of violence in Star Trek, in uh, in my book. You know what? I'm going to be buying at Amazon as soon as we're done. This is a very <laughs> interesting book, at least to a nerd like me. I, yeah. Yes, I, you know, I'm not going to be modest. It's a great book. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> now, Warren Oates is like, do you, you messing with my daughter? And he's like, no, sir. And he goes, all right, I believe you. Sit down. <laughs> You're a good oh, kid, baby, James too. Marsden. Yeah. Meanwhile, the headline of the paper, guy sleeps with Chrissy McNichol. <laughs> Fall news. So, so she's training the horse? She's a jockey? Okay, so she's not officially a jockey, no, but she rides the horse and trains the horse. Uh, and so she she doesn't have that itch to be a jockey, is what you're saying? Well, she she probably could do it, but she so doesn't she has the jockey's itch. What's that? She, she has the jockey jockey's itch. She does not have jockey itch, no, because she doesn't have the proper equipment. But she could, if she had the proper equipment, she would have jockey itch. Jockey itch. Jockey itch, yeah. It's just always just a little, little itch. We saw body. another horse movie with uh, Walter Matthau, which I always get Little Miss. He's like a Little Miss Marker. Little Miss Fun Marker. Fun movie. Special Hammett. This I'll time, right back. My first thought was Let It Ride, but I realized no, that's the horse racing movie with Richard Dreyfuss, not the one with Walter Matthau. Okay, I mistake. Yeah. And then the uh, California split. There was a lot of like gambling movies. Power, George oh, yes. Okay, so what's happening right now is Eileen Brennan is inviting them both to to live with her, be at her home. You'll have your own room. It's really because she wants to. So Christy McNichol is like, she wants that. She wants you. that grease poster. Is what it's all about. <laughs> he goes, you're not scamming me. You just want to bang my dad. Don't love me. You don't love me. That's 
But she's going back to Aunt May and Uncle Ben, right? I mean, she's going to go to school in, in fall. Yeah, see, that's a, fl a flaw in the plot. In that one, we <laughs> Aunt were May set and Uncle up, Ben, nice. We were set up to believe she was returning <laughs> for school. But the rest of the film, it doesn't really act like that. It, it acts like dad is now dad, and that's who she lives with. Yeah. And she's never met dad before, right? But they, they click right. immediately. Uh, no, if you watched it with the sound, you would see that all of act one was them not clicking and they have a connection now, but they're going to fight even right now, you know? Oh, 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 um, may I pitch a film that I would return back to watch with you guys at a later date? If it's yeah. on YouTube. Yes. La oh gosh last time i checked it's on youtube i hope it still is <laughs> it, it, it's called the man with the power mike knows the movie that i'm referring to uh it is the tv movie that persis kambata made before she got star trek yeah that's right i read about that yeah absolutely yeah. i'm sure it's out there too charlotte <laughs> write that down i'm opening yeah. up my pencil case it's a it's a tv movie like it's a pilot you know, specifically, it, it didn't get sold, and she wouldn't have been on the show even if it had sold. But much like this, it's 20 minutes of story stretched out to, like, two hours of screen time. Lot, yeah. Lots of, you know, lots of people watching as a car pulls up. Lots of this kind of thing. <laughs> I have to admit, this movie is a huge stretch for an hour and 40-minute movie with the, the storyline so far. It's just oh, like, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. This this used to be entertainment. People used to just watch this. A two-minute scene of a car pulling up and people walking into a house. This used to be entertainment. Oh, that's how they would set up. Oh, you remember the movie uh, where the where the Buffalo Room would build? Yes, the Bill, the Bill Murray uh, one that Neil Young did the music for, yeah. There's a scene where he like parks his car and then walks into the courtroom, and it takes like two minutes. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. No one asked. Yeah. In, yeah. Nighthaw in Nighthawks, the movie that Persis made after Star Trek, there's just like long scenes of her character just getting out of a cab and walking down the street and going into a place and walking. Yeah, just so much. You would, or you can't, I can't watch Columbo anymore. I've tried to watch like the early Columbo seasons, and so much of it is just him driving to places. You're right about that. I, 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 I can still endure it, but you're exactly right about that. There's a lot. Just like so much filler, it's amazing. The man it's like say what you will about MTV editing. It. Say what you will about MTV. At least they move. You know, it's like the Nazis. They move shit along. You know, give them credit right. for that. <laughs> well, you have this formula now, especially when you're watching movie comedy shot in Georgia, where you know they they kind of do a sitcom. There's an exterior shot. There's a shot of the car. There's a shot of the store. They're inside the store. You know what I mean? Like it moves it along storyboard wise. Mm -hmm. Now look what's in her hand. She's got her John Travolta. Uh, she's got her green well, poster. Let, let's let's be honest here. She's got her Olivia Newton John poster. That's right. what it is. Uh. <laughs> You're right about that. Yeah. Oh, but look at Travolta's eyes. Travolta's eyes yeah. are watching us. Oh, that's creepy. That is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. Poor guy. Suddenly, it's a Halloween movie. Yikes. We've never talked about the fact that December seventh is Pearl Harbor Day. Is that interesting at all well i was wrong i thought it was this, the premiere date of the movie but the, i guess the movie was on the 8th the next oh no, your first broad oh wow first broadcast was december 6th 19 no no no. wait 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 no 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 7th right december 7th 1979 that's right according right. to the imdb yeah 
And then Star Trek came out that night as that mm -hmm. night as well, right? Yep. That yeah. All right. So this is for the cheap dads out there who want some more notes and a piece of quiet. Hey, look, I got a horse for you. Chrissy McNichols here. Honey, you love Ellen Birds. We're not going out. <laughs> <laughs> but if we had done Killing Fish, we could have done the joke where it's like you go to the movies. Hmm, what do I want to see? Yeah, I remember Steve Austin. I'll see Killer Fish. <laughs> Although I, I love, I love Mike that you just said Ellen Burstyn, which makes me think that like the the, the kids like, okay, fine, I'll stay home and watch an Ellen Burstyn film. They're like, Dad, it's not Ellen Burstyn, it's Eileen Brennan. Right. <laughs> dad, uh, you lied to me. Dad. You promised, you promised me Burstyn, and you brought me Brennan. I'm a horrible dad. <laughs> Listen, I'm drunk. I only work every night of the week. Uh, I wanted to mention something. Charlotte, you brought up a really good point. We were going to do Killer Fish because that came out the same night as Star Trek. And yes. That was, one of the few, that was one of the few films to open opposite Star Trek, the motion picture, because otherwise the studios just cleared their slates for that day. That's how big a deal they knew Star Trek was going to be. They didn't even want to put anything up against it. Except well, I mean, for... He, 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 he declined the colon R. It was a big, big movie. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> Was there like a Jules Verne movie that opened that night as well, or like played the week before? Like Blair Blister's Attack? That sounds, that sounds vaguely familiar. If you'd asked me a year and a half ago, I would have known for sure, but yeah, yeah. all my research for that book has been like displaced by my research for the next book, so I couldn't tell fair, you for sure. Enough. <laughs> well, we, we, uh, we discovered, or I just kind of, Carl informed me that uh, Mystery Science Theater has already did it. And Sherilyn, you were talking about that episode and how that just kind of disconnected you from the series. Yeah, so Killer Fish is like the fifth episode of the most recent season of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which is the new season on Netflix. And in fact, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is why I got Netflix. I subscribed to Netflix for the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 because... I, it's it's ultimately my favorite show. It's the show that means the most to me. It like had a huge influence cool. on my sense of humor. I mean, it's a re, it's the reason I did Bad Movie Night for ten years. Yeah, it was you know, an opportunity to do MST3K live. But so the but these last couple of years, it's like so the new the new series. I was watching it and it was like, okay, it's it's Tom and it's Crow and it's like all these things and it's a movie riffing. <clears throat> but about twenty minutes into Killer Fish which is the second to last episode of the most recent season, I realized I don't care anymore. I don't care, or more to the point, I don't care about the people who are doing the riffing. I don't like Jonah Ray, and I can't tell the personalities of the other two people apart. Their voices sound the same, the characters sound the same, and it's just a bunch of bros making jokes, just saying the lines to the screen, but not to each other. You know, it's just them. It's just them saying the lines like they're not even with each other. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just don't care anymore about Mystery Science 2000 because I don't care about these characters. And the movie that I was watching when I realized that was indeed Killer Fish. Right. Mm -hmm. Your your old uh, synergy there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is funny too because I, I would have to say that the original actors, you know, they were all grew up in fifties camp. Mm -hmm. And there, it is camp and it is collective. So when you are riffing, you are, you know, acknowledging it together. It's, yeah. And, and being not a live show, which we, which you produced for 10 years and I was part of, it's, it's, you have a, you can afford the timing to rewrite a joke and say it exactly at this point and the audio will get muddled because you're producing the audio. 
so it becomes more pinpointed, I guess. But yeah, they don't really talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And part of what was so fun about doing Bad Movie Night, and especially doing Bad Movie Night with you, was making each other laugh. Yeah. It's like there was nothing better than just being overcome with laughter because of the joke of the person sitting next to me. It's like, I liked it when I got off a good one, but the best thing was when the people who are riffing with me made me laugh. That was what it was all about, that kind of sense of community to it. And it's just not there. And you know what? Riff Tracks does it. The the Riff Tracks does a great job of it. The ones with Mike Mike and Bill and Kevin are great. And as I was telling Mike, especially the ones with Mary Jo, Peel, and Bridget Nelson. I got to interrupt. Now, Warren Oates is going to get his ass kicked now and act three literally. Yeah. Now, now she, they were having an argument about the boy and she spooked the horse. And so Warren Oates is going to end up in the hospital because of her, although that won't play out as a big guilt thing. But that is the truth about why he's there. This guy is um, Howard. This is his only appearance in the whole film. You've seen him before. He was in Roots. He was in um, uh, here. Roots, is. which we, Roots, which was directed by the director of this movie, John Ehrman. Oh, Actually, no way. Yes, he did do some Roots. Uh, I think he did the new. Did he do all of them? No, he did the probably new not one. all. No. Yeah. Oh, I can see him getting offers. Hey, I have a new film pitch for you. Was it written by Ernest Hemingway or Alex Huxley? Uh, no, it wasn't. Well, I'm not interested. <laughs> okay, he's already gone, and I couldn't find his write-up. But you, <laughs> he was on Into the Night as a TV show. Um, he was, I don't know. He got around. Yeah. He got around. So now she learns that they're going to kill the horse. Okay? They're going to uh, uh. kill Guilford. So she's got to go to the vet and appeal to the vet. Do not kill Guilford. Ah, where do I put my letter? Where do I put my letter? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's oh, a oh, they, Come on, come on, tie your sweater like him. Right. Well, tie the sweater, dude, oh, go, you're a, almost there. Tie it all the way. A dead a couple, a dead a couple. Come on, do oh, it like David Marcus in Star Trek Two. come on. <laughs> that will go away and then come back in the early 80s like Duran Duran times. You'll always see it in catalogs for, um, uh, you know, like the yeah. clothing Jesus. sales. Yeah, it's been on the horse tranquilizer himself. The horse has a history. Oh, those eyes. He's, he's scanning her, I think. Her head's about to explode is what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised, Carl, we haven't said that the horse didn't have a speaking line. I'm really proud of us. <laughs> All right, Carl, I give up. Why didn't the horse have a speaking line? Oh, I'm sorry, I stepped away because I had to get his character actor information. Uh, Peter Mahoney is this vet. He was in uh, Desperately Seeking Susan and JFK and Private Parts and Thinner and Boiler Room. He's for real. And now you saw in that fight scene in which Warren Oates was getting his ass kicked by the horse. The horse did not speak during that part, even huh. though it was scripted. Do you know why, Mike? No, Carl, why didn't the horse speak? Well, that particular day of shooting, he was a little horse, you know. He was, he was just horse, so they did. They oh, thank God. Oh, thank you, Carl. I've been waiting the entire fucking movie. Yeah. Over that's our horse racing. 
and they were like, oh. "This X line oh. is is hysterical." Oh, I I am honored to have witnessed that joke. Thank you for that. <laughs> we trudged it out. I appreciate it. I I I'm honored. I'm truly I'm truly blessed. Thank you. <laughs> if this movie was an hour and twenty minutes, we wouldn't have bothered. <laughs> now, in the Hemingway book, uh, short story. Uh, short, short that's story. not how he gets hurt at all. He's doing a race. It's in France. He's a jockey, and back and then they would do a lot of hurdles as well. It wasn't just you know a track in a circle, and and he got thrown, and he you know he he doesn't. It doesn't happen the same way in which it's the the child's fault like it is. Here. Sometimes I wonder, is it really based on that short story because it shares like some names and some questioning about morality, and that's it. So this this might as well be called Ernest Hemingway's The Lawnmower Man. Is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it should be Ernest Hemingway's Police Academy Seven. Go to Moscow. It just doesn't. Mission to Moscow. Yeah. Mission to Moscow. Get it right. Which uh, the guy who wrote Working Trash directed then. The guy directed Working Trash, which we saw. Oh, right, with George Carlin. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, Carlin, yeah, yeah, yeah. He directed Mission to Moscow. Yeah, that's The best Russian movie out there. That's one of the only ones you don't like, because you love that series. You know, Sharon Lynn and I watched all the police academies at the the station a couple years back. That's true, we did, yep. Yeah, Ape kind of there's a lot of like ba- a lot of physical comedy. Like first off, the the mousy woman and uh, uh, Hightower or whatever the other guy, they're not in it. Like they wouldn't, they didn't want her in it. The little mousy woman. <laughs> so one of the other guys says, "Fucking, I'm not in it." Bubba but, Smith. Uh, Bubba Smith is very loyal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bubba Smith. Right. The other guy, George Keynes, who I know his name. He he speaks various languages, including Russian. Russian, so he was okay. But it's a lot of it's choreographed chicanery, uh, like a lot of doubles doing pratfalls or spinning uh, in the air. Like it, it's really weird physical comedy. Uh, it was it's almost it was, like they, it's almost like they were running out of ideas by then. Huh. <laughs> they had to go like halfway around the world to come up with an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Miami again. No, no, no. Think bigger. So now we learn that he's off to college and he doesn't know when he'll see her again. You know, like it's always just implied. They never really do anything. We saw the dance scene. I don't think they kissed. I think they just got close. Mm-hmm. We saw Warren get it on them. Yeah. Yeah, but I like that this movie goes for the old people's sex rather than the young people's yeah. sex. <laughs> That's what's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you put Eileen Brennan and baby James Morrison together, yeah, that, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either. But just so long as you have Eileen Brennan and bed, Eileen Brennan and, oh, see, there's, there's the opportunity you missed. Christy McNichol and Eileen Brennan. Ah, that would have been your match made in heaven right there. <laughs> oh, right there, yeah. I just know that I could go see Star Trek, or I could watch Warren Oates with his shirt off for free. <laughs> Warren Oates, Warren Oates, Warren Oates. Written, written by, what? was Tchaikovsky, what's his name? Written by, who wrote War and Oates? Uh, <laughs> oh, Warren Oates was written by, uh, not, not Navikov. Brezhnikov, Brezhnikov. No, uh, 
Tolstoy? Who wrote that? Theodore Dom- Horseman, I think. Something like Dominic. That. It was written by Dominic. Dominic, of course, yeah. <laughs> okay, now. Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky. There, there's no such thing as a cell phone. So they had to call the track, which had to call the place that does the, the loudspeaker, which had to uh-huh. call to her. So she had to go and said, you called me on the loudspeaker? And says, yeah, go to the hospital. Something happened. I don't know what. So she, oh, is that kind of like? Is it like dead. in Lord of the Rings where they have to light that one that one fire, then the other fires all light up around the mountains? Right. Same principle. <laughs> well, it's just like if she had a cell phone, right? Sure. Come to the hospital, your father's woken up, but she got she played a game of literal tele, literal telephone. <laughs> Fuck you! My other estranged son wouldn't do that to me. My other estranged son. So like, he must have uh, other children, right? Oh, he surely does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. He's a nice guy. Are you, you saying know? that? Are you saying that Warren did not sow his wild oats? I'm pretty sure he did. No, with he with with Eileen Brennan. <laughs> it's this is a backdoor pilot. See, week after week, he finds another child of his. Like he goes on the road. He's like, I'm in a strain hey, with. Funny, you. Mike. That's funny. Every week. The main that, character, yeah. yeah, gets a long-lost yeah. child, and they reunite and rekindle. Then he sends them off to college or off to war or something, right? It's just uh, closure, resolution, and then he goes off again like the Incredible Hulk. He's right. Done right. He and he finds another child. And I like the idea that he gets sent off to war at the end of every episode. Finds a long-lost child and sends them off to war. I like that. Or, or, or like, <laughs> yeah, but... Nobody could launch him on a ship as on a merchant vessel. Sure. Or he could, you know, send them back to high school. You got to get your GED. You always wanted to be in high school. This is your chance. Listen, you are a military man. You're right. I met your mom in Fallujah anyway. So, you know, we were both on duty. I think that makes sense. Thanks, Dad. Uh, Let go of her arm, Warren Oates. Okay. So he's super triple weak. And, uh, you know, but he's awake now, and he obviously can understand what's going on. Now we're going to learn the backstory of how, okay, the uh, Mr. Noodle's brother pranked <laughs> a horse, like gave him super horse <laughs> run pills, and then he got caught. And so him and dad of uh, Mr. Noodle's brother Dad, dad of Mr. Noodle's brother. Okay, go which on. would be which would be Mr. Noodle's dad too. I don't mean that on purpose. Would um and the doctor was a woman. On, blamed it on Warren Oates. Okay, and so Warren Oates had to go to court, and the court was believing him. And then the prosecutor is like, "Would you believe it, drunk, Your Honor?" So he got kicked out for three years. Okay, now it all makes sense. Yep, that's the backstory. That's why we didn't like each other. And none of that is in the short story. In the short story, he gets involved with some seedy people, and it does lead to his demise. And the son questions, was his father moral or immoral? Because around him, he was moral as hell. But when his back was turned... Well, you have to do that with Hemingway stories, don't you? The same thing happened with the killers. Yeah. There were like the two, at least two different versions of the killers, and it's like a, it's a five-page story. It's like a two-minute read. It's like in and out one scene, and there were like at least two different movies where 
they had to like design a whole two hour long film around this five minute scene. Yeah. Absolutely. And they're both good. They're both they're both really good movies. One of them so, being one of them being the last film Ronald Reagan was in. That was the Don Siegel t- TV. Movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So have you have you seen the Criterion? I I took it checked out from the library, Sherwin. The, the Criterion mm-hmm. edition of that. I reviewed the Criterion edition of it for SF Weekly about five years ago. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. See, they had like an additional German movie. Do you remember that? Like it was. There was like one more. Yeah, like a pilot or like some you know, TV Playhouse thing or something. I forget what exactly, but basically, yeah, there's three different versions of the killers on there. Yeah. Michael and I have highlighted on this show the Crapeterian collection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't miss it. The big C there. Sure. Okay, now, she has convinced the vet not to kill the horse, but now she needs a jockey. So she goes to Mr. Noodle's brother and says, you got to be the jockey. And Mr. Noodle's brother says, hey, fuck you. Oh, yeah, because he tried to make amends, right? He's like, sorry. He gave him a lot of money. He gave him a winner. He's like, I don't like your horse and I don't like you. It is if my brother, Mr. Noodles, was here, I tell you what, ooh, you're lucky. He's <laughs> You're lucky my brother, Mr. Noodles, isn't here. Mike, look so- how his hair is thinning up top. We know it's going to happen. Carolyn, you see it, right? It's oh, I totally see out. it. Mm-hmm. Can we just enjoy his hair right now in 1979, Carl? <laughs> to ruin everybody's hair, Carl. <laughs> what about Chrissy McNichols' hair? Is it different now? No. Uh, no, she looks the same today. Now, she retired in 2014. But um, let's see. She's got some... I see your picture here. She really looks the same. I mean, it's, it's her again, but it's older. Yeah. That's all. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and that's when she left TV. That was 1992. She was on Empty Nest, the spinoff of The Golden Girls. Oh, uh, Golden Manor? Yeah. Yeah. She made the the Richard Mulligan show, if memory serves. Uh, Oh, Empty Nest. She had the role of Barbara Weston. On Empty Nest, a spinoff of The Golden Girls. She left the show in 1992 after being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, returned for its final episode in 95. It was her last on-screen performance. She's done voice characters, Ghostbusters. Excuse me, Extreme Ghostbusters. Get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the official version or is that like... According to IMDb, she was on one episode of Extreme Ghostbusters as Michelle. There was a cartoon yep. in the 70s called Ghostbusters, and when Ghostbusters became big, they were like, we're the real Ghostbusters. And, uh, uh, so uh, one point of order is that the show you're referring to was actually a live-action show. Hanna-Barbera what? made a live-action show called the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters huh. being two words, I might add. And then when the movie became a hit, the unrelated film became a hit in 1984, then they revived the property <clears throat> as an animated series but it was but it was originally a a a live action series starring forrest tucker and one other guy like that whose name escapes me at the moment so Uh, forrest tucker Tucker, some other guy tucker forrest i think tucker forrest also oh tucker forrest of course right yeah tip of my tongue there but yeah that was a live action series that they then remade as an animated series which is why the series spun off from the columbia film was called the real ghostbusters 
to differentiate it mm. and as a fuck you to the filmation Ghostbusters. Right. Okay, and now if you a, can't find it, finish your thought because this is important for plot because it's going to be tomorrow okay. morning in a second. Here's, here's my thought. Bob Pope had a movie called Ghostbusters. Go ahead. <laughs> Pow! Uh, here's my thought. It was called The Ghost Breakers, wasn't it? Ghost Breakers. Yeah, you're right. Like Gang Breakers. <laughs> Ghost Breakers. Damn it. Or okay. Union or Union Breakers. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be that'd be Busters, actually, come to think of it. But sorry, what, what's your what's your thought there, Carl? Um Wow, wow, I didn't call it the Ghostbusters guy, I gotta tell you. Um okay, she can't find a jockey and she's gotta run <gasps> race tomorrow. So she is going to pretend to be the jockey. Uh, she's going to pretend to be uh, Noodle's brother. But she's a girl. She got, jockeys can't be girls. Well, That's like a jockey being a chef. You can't have if that. If you've seen Dragon Slayer, they'll pretend. If you've seen Game of Thrones, a young girl <laughs> will pretend to be a boy and it will work. What if I've only seen Milan? Does that count? Yeah, does that count? Milan. Okay. <laughs> Is Mushu going to be with her? Sword. You think. He Yenta would have had it easier if she had like a little dragon with her. <laughs> Blue shoot. Now, you love Golden Raspberry Awards, and uh, Christy McNichol was nominated for one in the 1982. It was Worst Actress, uh, the Pirate Movie, if you've seen that. Oh, I have seen that. But she wasn't the worst thing in that movie. Believable. She, she was only nominated. She didn't win. For a long time, pirate movies were like box office disasters. Like you, you couldn't make like uh, Pippi Longstocking. Gina Davis movie didn't do so well, and you know. So when the, that Disney movie came out, people were like, "Ugh!" And then it became like a super smash. The Pirates of the Caribbean. 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 Michael. Pirates. Thank you very much. Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> That's it exactly. Yes. Oh, I haven't finished the title. Uh, the search <laughs> for the lost. The uh, quest. Dead men tell no. The uh, story. I love it. Greenlight it right chronicles? now. Dead men tell no chronicles. <laughs> I can't think of a single subtitle from those movies or like from the Transformer movies. Transformer Night of the Moon. Robots in disguise. Oh, shit! I feel so bad. I was telling my car how much I hate robots, and I didn't realize it was a transformer. I must have embarrassing for you. Oh my goodness, you must have been. Yeah. yeah, check your privilege, Mike. Fucking Optimus Prime. Why are you crying, car? I gotta go. So we're having some heartfelt stuff. We're having encouragement for the race. Uh, we're having regrets, but uh, but if I hadn't done it, it wouldn't have ended up this way. What a weird pose she's in, though. Sorry, I'm just looking at like her angle. That's just very ca casual. Yeah, that's Water weird. Tell me something, Pop. They got one shot. They got to get use it. <laughs> yeah, they have to return the tank in five minutes, so they have to get the shot right now. Oh, it's why you move up your bed. I don't think my character would move up the bed. All right, you asshole. Never mind. Chrissy, go ahead and squat over. He's not spoiled in this. This is pretty early uh, in her career. She's on Battle of the Network stars around this time, okay? Well, everybody was. Yeah, but she, everybody who's nobody. I mean, yeah. you know, Farrah Fawcett wasn't She probably on did a good job. 
It depends on who your team captain is. If you've got like Winkler, you're set. If you went watched Battle of the Network Stars, like you would see people who weren't the main ones on Dallas. You would see, you know, um, it's, it's everyone who would have been on the Love Boat or Fantasy Island yeah, would also yeah, show up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but usually it's like the BC stars. The, I just have a few things to dump on you as this. It's not going to end yet, but uh, <laughs> the guy who did the music uh, wrote the theme song for The Outer Limits. Is that interesting? It's yeah. funny. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go sure. with that. Okay, the cinematographer did Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. Nice. He did concert films for Bruce Springsteen and Alice Cooper. Do we care about that? Oh, no, but I got to mention one thing, Carl. Okay. I'm agreeing with Sherilyn. Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo is a piece of shit and really interesting. And who gives a shit that the church is now a hole in the ground? Who cares? Let's see. Vertigo was, well, I tell you, that guy. And he, yeah. yeah, and it would be about heights. I did see Vertigo, and I'm not remembering it very clearly. I actually, go, I actually go into a great detail about Vertigo versus Citizen Kane in my new book. Oh, you do? Oh, well, oh yeah, I no do, finally. Citizen Kane is the superior. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Vertigo isn't even Hitchcock's best film, let alone the best film by anybody ever. It's just not. Uh-huh. You brought that up in your book, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's people like that movie because it presents a city that doesn't exist, and that connects with the movie, but it doesn't really, you know. Now, look, just there's a secret jockey uniform. Ooh. Hide it, hide it. This is contraband at this point. It's Victoria's Secret. She's a jockey. <laughs> that's right that's her secret <laughs> look see that nice gift the rich college boy got her it's a horse engagement Nicholas right is that this an engagement Nicholas? I de-wed my horse you got me an engagement Nicholas oh, uh, oh Nicholas. I, I love how underwhelmed she is she's barely whelmed yeah <laughs> it's like this is clear is a case of oh so this is happening huh all right ah, it's a bracelet do you think that's okay if you're gonna jock in a race you should have a bracelet yeah you don't need loose things dangling right. it's like this is 1979 a girl is not allowed to not let something like this happen see i don't are they gonna kiss see how they don't even kiss <laughs> it's for um, my sister okay i'll take it oh fake smile oh my god fakest of the fake wow yeah, that was yeah jesus christ there's no okay. chemistry in this. No, he does so not know. He doesn't know how shined on he just got. He has no idea. <laughs> he thinks that was a success. He really does. Oh. Those no, two, but... and the, one, the guy from Brandeis wrote it because you could tell there's no chemistry involved. Bingo. Oh, love that old, love that old radio. Yeah, yeah that's um, from Gilligan's Island, actually. <laughs> Art okay. Bell, coast to coast. but first paul harvey with the rest of the story (laughs) good day hey page seven now the producer of this film was a freedom fighter for hungary during the second world war and was jailed by the nazis do we care about that 
You worked oh. on the film when he was killed by the Nazis? I care about nothing when there's a jockey parade on the screen. <laughs> there we are. Now, it, he's going to have to, she is going to have to pretend that she is he. She's a dude. Keep yeah. her elf. Yeah, she's she's Milaning up in this bitch. Yep. Oh, banana. Guy eating so banana. What's going to happen here is he's going to help bananas. her up with the one leg, and he's going to say, there's no bulge in your crotch. <laughs> That Pretty, one the uh, cops come. Guy has a lot of time on his hands. People are Fabulous. still clocks. They're, they're wearing ties here, suits. Ah, <laughs> ugly. I mean, I, I'm not the first to say this, but, but good lord, what an ugly decade that was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, have, I have determined that the ugliest, the ugliest year was 1972, and the ugliest month of 1972 was September. And in spite of that, that's the month I was conceived. It's this weird, this weird kind of like syzygy, this weird kind of conjunction where well, I, I was somehow conceived during the, during the one month in all of human history when everyone on the planet was unfuckable. Wait, why September? How did you come up with September? Like, I know it's just the month you were born, but. I, I was born June, June 1973. So uh, busting, out the, busting out the calculator, my iPhone tells me that I would have been conceived Around oh, September 1972, yeah. <laughs> well, they might have gone to a resort. They might have not been like at home, you know. So I've always hoped it was like I've always hoped there was a key party, actually. <laughs> that somehow I was conceived. I've always hoped they had key parties and that they somehow ended up having sex with each other anyway, and that's how I was conceived. But at least that there were <laughs> other couples in the house at the time. Yeah. I want to believe that about my parents. They don't have so, key parties um, now. We what takes are you? in the third act here, and we are in the home stretch, literally and figuratively. And this is going to be the race uh, that ends the film. Yeah, there are four minutes left. I hope we're in the third act by now. <laughs> oh, my God. Does the horse kill everybody like he killed War Notes? That would be great. That would have been a much better ending. Like a revenge ending where he shoots the horse shoots everybody, and they just say, the end. This time it's personal. Yeah. So there she is hiding amongst the legitimate jockeys. Nobody knows it's her. Yeah, she only hangs around this racetrack every day. And you know, I'm beginning to think that the grease poster is not going to pay off. Just a <laughs> hunch I have, but we still have three minutes. <laughs> That's true. It still could make a comeback. <laughs> oh, maybe John Travolta will come out and hug and kiss her when she wins. Oh, yeah. But John Travolta as the boy in the plastic bubble, because this is actually a stealth sequel to that. That was around this time, I think. Mm -hmm. 76, wasn't it? We did that one. Was it? Yeah, we did. Oh, everybody's done that one. It's public domain, so yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Bubble Boy. I got it mixed up. And here comes the horses. Wow. I don't I don't care is in first. I quit the job is second. Fuck everybody in this place is third. You know, sometimes I think there's nothing more boring than watching a card game in a movie than I realize, no, horse racing is somehow more boring than a card game. What about listening people listening to the horse racing on the radio? More interesting, because they Come tend on, to be like they tend to be like waving down. their arms around. Right. <laughs> and they're yelling at least they're yelling kind of like this guy is. Oh yeah, you gotta get into it. And then they tear up their ticket, of course. Most important part. 
my jockey edge. Yeah, pom pom. Okay, so you see at the hospital, she's listening on the radio. Yeah. 500 bucks on the game. And there's her daughter, his daughter's just about to win. And then he passes away. He dies? Yep. Oh, how sad. Yep. Oh, he's fading away like Yoda. Wow. <laughs> now, she will win the race, but when they freeze frame on her face, it's the most melancholy fate ever. Well, they're in heaven now, right? I mean, that's what the filters are trying to tell us. They're all dead, and they're in, like, yeah, horse they're racing all... heaven. They're in jazz heaven. But this is, like, not a happy ending. It's, like, a bittersweet ending. She won, so it's supposed to be happy, but it's not happy. Yeah, it's great, because usually Hemingway is known for his happy endings, so this is kind of a surprise. Yeah. Does she know Dad is dead? Like, is there, like, a telepathic? No, but look, when they freeze frame, it'll be on her face in such a melancholy way, like she, look, it's like she knows. You see that face? Yeah. Wait, it's wait, like wait Michael Jeter played her? Wait. Huh. Dun, dun. Yeah, look at this. Mean veterinarian, cruel doctor, that's Stanley. And William Dulow as Rooster. Oh, good, good, oh. good editing, Argyle. Good editing. Well done. Argyle Dominic ruled this movie. This has been um, one crazy summer, huh? Uh, my <laughs> old man from 1979. Sherilyn, you've been fantastic. All right, everyone. See you next week. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of <laughs> YouTube uh, with Michael Spiegelman. Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. We watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Yeah, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That's every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, 5%. Right, I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. Five. Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Carl, test, test. Carl, Carl, test, test. Yeah, you're all buzzy. I gotta call back. Let's watch. It's oh, jokes to Carl. Movie. Not duh, like duh. I don't say that's funny. It's duh, like French. So it's jokes to Carl. Follow me now. With Michael Spiegelman. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? 
Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny radio, my friend.